Hey now, hey now, hey now. It's just me today. Don got busy at work, busy with the fam, not going to be able to make it today, so it's just me. Try not to bomb, try not to ruin the good show that we have otherwise. And uh, this is what the show is. We have Katie Baker from Grantland is going to join us for her fifth time on the podcast. And excited to have Katie back. Katie has uh, had a similar year to me. Uh, She's also newly married. She moved to this house that, if you follow her on Instagram, looks like it may be in the Enchanted Forest. And um, uh, she's out there uh, with Grantland, and she was at the... At the Packers and Cowboys game. And I thought that it would be cool to have her on. And we almost did last week. uh, But with her traveling, we couldn't get schedules coordinated. And then I figured uh, we could have her in this week. Which is always that weird uh, week in the sports year. Where uh, the NHL is going to have an all-star game. The NFL is going to have the Pro Bowl. And I mean, obviously, both of those things are horrible. There's no real football game. And we're kind of waiting. We're in a holding period, waiting for the Super Bowl, which is great because we can spend so much time talking about things like deflated footballs. So works out perfect. But uh, I remember when I was younger, the thing that I always loved about this week was I, it was a wrestling week for me. I would watch the Royal Rumble, and my parents would be much more, uh, much more understanding and interested in me watching that because there was no football. They could justify it in their heads, and they were always much more willing to shell over the pay-per-view money uh, for the Royal Rumble, and that is our other guest. Uh, we have a couple of wrestling uh, titans on to finish up uh, the book club, Book of the Month, The Death of WCW, and R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez are going to make sportscasters history today on the podcast because we recorded this interview uh, different, and I'm not sure if I explained it or not. On the podcast, but I'll go over uh, what that history is in the book club update later. Uh, but anyway, it's May. No, not May. It could be May. It's January 21st, 2015. Uh, it's episode three of season five. Uh, that means next week is the Super Bowl, Sportscaster Super Bowl Spectacular, which is the hardest show to book. Uh, so I'm already preparing and trying, trying my best to get. Uh, one person from the NFC side, or one from the AFC side, and someone with a more natural view of the game in some way. So we'll see how that shakes up. I'm already working hard on booking that. It's very difficult. Uh, but uh, it always turns out pretty decent. So looking forward to, to that next week. Hopefully Don will be back for that. I'm sure he will. So what we have today is uh, I'm going to do three things. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Katie Baker. After that, I'll do the book club update, figure out where we are there, which is in need of new books. Uh, then we'll do the interview with uh, Reynolds and Alvarez, and then uh, we'll finish the show by recapping uh, the season of Pick 4. And I guess I'll hit a quick one last thing, and uh, that will be it for the show. So let's get it started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. On the count of three. One. Alrighty, I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! The first thing has to be 
the playoff games, the, the uh, NFC and AFC championship game on Sunday. And the very first thing about the very first game is I don't know how you recover from that as a fan. I felt bad for Packers fans because I know what it's like to to care badly for your team and and to feel like you have a game like that uh, one and to have that taken away. I can't imagine recovering from that. I can't imagine uh, the Saints played in two NFC Championship games in my lifetime, and the first time they were pretty much beaten relatively easily by the Bears. It wasn't as big of a blowout as the final score. Ended up showing, but it was, wasn't was that close either. The Bears, uh, for the most part, took care of the Saints that day. The other one was obviously a classic game. Uh, 28-28 going into overtime, and maybe the game that ultimately changed the overtime rules. But I couldn't imagine if one of those games was just... I mean, yeah, it hurt to lose the Bears game, but the Bears were the better team that day. I couldn't imagine losing a game in a place like Seattle where you almost go in expecting to lose and then to have that game play out the way it did with the Russell Wilson having four interceptions and also then you get a fumble recovery on a kickoff. And I'm not second-guessing, and I know it can, it's, it's hindsight, but a podcast a lot of times is hindsight. I was screaming at McCarthy in the first quarter with the 18 and 19-yard field goals. I just don't think you can win big games that way. And at the time, I didn't even know that Seattle was going to be as bad as they were for as long as they were going to be in that game. I I thought Seattle would play a much better game, and I thought these early opportunities were ones that they had to capitalize on. And even if they didn't, you at least have to play the game with the mentality that you're there to win it. And I didn't think they ever did that. And it came back to haunt them at the end. Uh, with things like the slide on the interception. Uh, and I know since Sunday. And I didn't necessarily realize it at the time. There's over five minutes left in that game. And you got a guy sliding down on a pick six. You know the all 11 tape shows that the only person who really would have had a chance of that tackle was Russell Wilson. He was going to have to fight through some blocks and make a tackle. So, and then if it's not a pick six, it's points probably. And you're probably way down there before you get tackled. So that was the first thing that went wrong for them. And then Seattle gets a touchdown. And then they get the onside kick. And I feel bad for, for Bostic with the onside kick because too many things went wrong. And he made a mistake. He messed up. But you got to admire a guy who was willing to uh, stand out in front of everyone and sort of admit that and own that. So I have a lot of respect for that guy, and I could see uh, why some people were upset when the play happened. I understand. Uh, I don't think it warrants, obviously, Twitter uh, hatred. But uh, And then they get the other touchdown, and they get the two-point conversion play, which was just a disaster because I think if you ran that play 100 times like that, that, that might be the only one you can complete. And, and Dix, who had a pretty good game, just can't find a way to make a play on that ball. And uh, even still, Aaron Rodgers found a way to... Uh, oh, and I didn't even mention the very first touchdown was, uh, was a fake field goal that the punter threw into an offensive lineman. And when it's 19 to nothing at that play, and they brought the field goal out, I was thinking I wonder if they would try a fake. But they slipped that one by them. And even with Rodgers, who, who got them in position for Crosby, who hit, by the way, a clutch money field goal. 
by uh, by Crosby there at the end to send it to overtime. And then Seattle got the ball and didn't give it up, which is the way. It's what a team like that does to you when they have you in that position. They just don't don't give you another chance. And I don't know how I'd recover from that if I was a Green Bay fan. I'm glad I'm not because uh, I wouldn't want to have to find out. And then the second game was a bust, obviously. Uh, New England destroyed destroyed the Colts. It was closer than the final score in the first half. It wasn't a total uh, blowout in the first half, but uh, the interception, I guess, that caused all the controversy this week is really the play uh, that kept, I think it was that pick, that kept uh, the Colts in the game. So if the Patriots go up 21 nothing uh, before that pick, maybe the route is on then, but Colts stayed in it for a bit. They weren't ready to beat that team in that game. They don't have enough there yet. I think that's obvious. I'm not telling anyone anything they didn't know there. And that's just why I can't get that upset about the ball thing. At least from a from a football game standpoint. Like I don't think that the the Colts should get a second chance or get to play the game again or anything like that. Uh, but it's still it's disappointing if it's true. And there's been a lot of anecdotal things today, like Super Bowl quarterbacks saying they bribe people $7,500 to get the balls the way they wanted, and uh, kickers saying they have problems with balls getting deflated. And it's maybe just a, another thing on a list of things that the NFL's just found a way to do it. Dumb. So, obviously we'd like to see some changes there, but it's disappointing. There's just like an arrogance, a, a brazen attitude that, oozes off of uh, Belichick and Brady, which is why the people in my town hate them so much. It's why they're so disdained in Buffalo, because there's just that arrogance that kind of just, it just pulsates off them. And it's hard to embrace if those aren't your guys. When there's when they're your guys, and Sean Payton is guilty of this occasionally, being really arrogant. But when he's your guy, when he's your arrogant guy, you can get behind that a little bit. When he's not, you hate it. And, uh, I read a tweet today about how teams dream of being, of creating this us against the world fantasy, and in this case, the uh, the Patriots probably don't need to go into the Super Bowl next week, uh, hoping that uh, they're going to have that already for them, which is probably a huge gift in a, in a crazy circumstance, considering they've earned that against the Seahawks and Pete Carroll and. Sherman, another, you know, a bunch of guys again who can be polarizing. That guys that when they're not your guys, you can tend to find a reason to hate them. Uh, it's certainly not two teams that I'm all that interested in seeing winning necessarily. Uh, I don't need to see the Seahawks win another Super Bowl. I, I sort of like the idea of maybe Brady getting another one for his legacy. I don't have any problem with that, but I don't know what I'll be rooting for other than a competitive and compelling uh, football game that will make the podcast more interesting the following week. I don't have a lot, I don't have any dogs in the fight really. I just kind of sit back and watch, I guess. But yeah, so that was the games, and uh, now we have this sort of awkward break as we wait for uh, for football to to play its final game, which is sad. That now we have to wait again until until September for for opening night. It's a long wait. It's a long off season. Second thing. I mentioned off the top the NHL is going to play the All-Star game this weekend, which means the NHL has reached its its midpoint. And uh, I'll be honest, I haven't paid much attention to it at all. It's such a weird season for me as a hockey fan, and I'll talk about that with Katie Baker 
later, when you're in this position where you want your team to lose, and not only lose, but really want them to finish dead last if possible. You want them to be the worst in a season after they already were the worst. I mean, I don't know if it's already forgotten how bad the Sabres were last year, but they were very, very bad. And uh, it's made it a weird season for me and just not that interested in in tuning into many NHL games. Now, there's not much I like more than the NHL playoffs. So it's not like I'm not going to come around as the season builds and we get closer uh, to that. But, you know, honestly, I haven't paid that close of attention uh, to the season. Uh, that doesn't mean it comes as a surprise to me that the Islanders are in first place. I've known that's been happening. The Sabres own their first round picks. We've been keeping an eye on them. And uh, it didn't take us long to kind of accept the fact that that wasn't going to be that good of a pick. Or maybe not as good as we had hoped. Uh, and and then there's some some teams that you, know, you, f- you figured would be good. The Pittsburghs and the Rangers. And Tampa was projected to be really good in the offseason. And um, I think Boston's a little bit of a surprise to see where they're at uh, with only the 56 points. Uh, maybe some people are surprised that Toronto is as bad as they are. I'm not really. Uh, but, yeah, not a whole lot of surprises in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you look at the standings, you see Detroit and Pittsburgh and the Rangers and Washington, and Boston would be the eighth team right now. And then you get a newcomer like, the Islanders, maybe to take the place of a Philly who's down or something like that. Tampa was there last year. Detroit's been there for how many years in a row? Uh, and they're in a nice 8 out of 10, 5 win streak going into the break. And then in the West, Anaheim is at on top. That's, I don't think, a surprise to many people. Uh, St. Louis, another team the Sabres own the first round pick. They're in the 60s in points. Chicago's up there in the 60s again. Nashville's having a great season, which is maybe a little bit of a surprise. Uh, and then the bottom of the West is pretty interesting. Ryan Miller is having an unbelievable uh, season with his team, with the Canucks. Uh, they've been uh, good as of late. Winnipeg is uh, having an unbelievable season. Uh, they should hopefully find their way into the playoffs. It would be cool to have Winnipeg in there. So... Not a lot of big surprises in terms of teams, I don't think. And when you look at the league leaders in terms of stats, again, it's not a it's not a huge shock to see someone like Tyler Sagan leading the league with goals or uh, Nash to be tied with him. And I mean, when you read the names, uh, Sagan, who's one of the most talented guys in the league, a former number two overall pick, I believe. Nash and Ovechkin and Stamkos being the top goal scorers, it's not a surprise. Uh, you know, Kane and Sagan and Malkin being near the top with Voracek and points. Voracek is, I don't think, a guy you would have thought would be leading the league in points, but it's not a shock. Uh, so, you know, I haven't had a huge connection with the league yet, but I'll get there. We had a bad hit last night, and those have been around. Um, but, you know, I guess that's it for that. Third thing I wanted to mention is uh, after the football games, I did watch a little bit of the UFC event that was in Boston. And uh, I had an observation. I think I tweeted about it a little bit. Just that 
the UFC tries to distance itself from being like the WWE. You know, we're real, we're shoot matches, we're not like that fake stuff. But in watching it, I noticed that they're not afraid to WWE it up for a pay-per-view buy or two. You know, it's hard to convince me that when the guy won the main event and jumped out of the ring to taunt the other guy who was so conveniently sitting ring ringside away, uh, that that wasn't a little bit staged, that that wasn't a bit of a work. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I just think if you're one of these people who says, I don't watch the WWE because that stuff is fake, I watch UFC because that's real, I would just caution you that some of that is also very much a work as well. Uh, and that was a great example. They're ready to be in the ring and sort of do interviews right after and uh, mentioning that there would be a fight between the two guys and when it would be. And this was a free event on Fox Sports and they did their best to work the crowd for a pay-per-view. And uh, they hired CM Punk, not because he's some talented mixed martial artist, uh, but because they knew he would draw uh, pay-per-view buys. And the word uh, from what I hear from wrestling is that Brock Lesnar is probably going to go back. And uh, Brock has proven himself in the UFC. But again, they're doing that uh, for buys. So I don't have a problem with it. I just uh, would caution you if you are one who would tend to say that it's not the case. Because it was pretty obvious to me. And they've had other things that Jones and DC press conference seemed somewhat of a work. I know those guys had a dislike for each other, but you feel like they're playing it up to get buys. And again, I don't have any problem with that. So I wanted to mention that. And then the thing in boxing, Manny Pacquiao has been all over sort of promoting his documentary and we're getting maybe closer or maybe far farther away from this idea of a Pacquiao versus Mayweather fight. And uh, just recently, we had a, a U.S. heavyweight champion uh, win the heavyweight title. It's the first U.S. fighter to hold it for a while. And there's still very few things as great as really, really big fights. And there's no bigger possible fight than Pacquiao versus Mayweather. And I hope that they can uh, sort that out for boxing fans and also for people who are huge sports fans, maybe casual boxing fans, that will be drawn into uh, an event like that. So I want to mention those things, and that's about it for three things. Music has stopped, and I don't want to babble on for too long because it's just me here. Sort of weird talking to myself in this room. I feel like I should be in prison or something. I guess if I ever am in prison, I can still do the show to myself in the in the cell. Uh, but we'll try to avoid that. Let's take a break. And we will come back with Katie Baker from Grantland. Well, they know that they got to be sure. If, they, if they're going to have any opportunity to freeze a puck, freeze it. If they're going to have a chance to deflect the puck in the corner, they got to do it. Here's a chance, and it's score! Yale has done it! Well, I said they were going to score in the first minute, but I had the wrong team. Yale comes out and shocks everyone. Our next guest is from Pennington, New Jersey, 
and is a graduate of Yale University. She writes for Grantland and is making her fifth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Katie Baker. Perfect the first time there, Katie. How about that? <laughs> Sounds great. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good. Just uh, messing with the listeners a little bit there, you know. Uh, 10 in the pairwise right now. Probably going to have another championship run, so they're going to have a, have a long uh, long spring with me um, and my uh, hockey talk. So. <laughs> I always love hearing the uh, Bulldog Bulldog. So. so let me ask you about a controversial Yale hockey moment. So I was at the uh, the rivalry on ice, which Yale is now 2-0 and with a 9-2 uh, goal differential in that event uh, against Harvard, who was number two in the country, number three, number one in the pairwise at the time of the game with only one loss to Yale at that point. And uh, so Yale just, it's a, just a dominant it's almost boring how bad and i'm not even like it was bad they know they know it was bad i'm not even exaggerating so it was one of those games where i think it was four to one and four different guys scored and there really wasn't enough saves for alex lyons to be the mvp even though he should be the mvp of everything he's probably the best goalie in the nation and uh so they they go with uh uh charles orzetti as the mvp because he had uh he had the uh, game-winning goal technically so it's just fine. And uh, so Orzetti, I don't, I don't know him that well. Uh, I know almost almost all of them, but I don't know him that well. And I know he loves scoring in NHL arenas. I don't. He scored in the national championship game, and, and he gets that one there. And, and, and there's another NHL arena game where he scored too. And uh, he, so he's the MVP, and Marc Messier is presenting the trophy. So when, you, when he goes up to him and he shakes his hand, he says something. And Marc Messier says, he told me he's a Devils fan. And then, and then, so then he gets his trophy and the guy asks him one question, what are you going to do with your trophy? Now, I thought he said he was going to put it next to his national championship trophy. So I thought he was taking a shot at Harvard. Um, but he actually said when I was, when I heard the truth from John Hayden, who was on the podcast uh, last week or the week before, he told me he said he was going to put them next to his devil's trophies <laughs> so from uh, i'll give you the word on this a okay to take shots at Messier like that or not okay because now you're a rangers fan at least you are a huge rangers fan of course for the 94 run which uh i think yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the banner night when they raised the banner for that uh and, and uh, a Yale hockey supporter okay or not okay i, I would say no but what do you think? See, I think, I think, while my instinct is to say not okay, I respect the fervent devil's fandom um, <laughs> that is so um, so unencumbered by any fear of Mark Messier. It is kind of impressive. Um, You'd think all the winning I mean, they've done would. Messier is also kind of calling him out in like hostile enemy territory. I mean, that you know he he might have deserved that. That ribbing back, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you'd think that some of the anger that is or hostility that's sort of in that teasing comment would have faded away with all the championships that they've won since '94 compared to the. Well, Rangers. the other thing, the other thing is, I mean, I don't know how old this guy is. He's but, in his twenties, you know. Um, <laughs> he probably doesn't even remember 1994. 
No, so I bet he I doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or 95 um, for that matter. Probably doesn't remember yeah, that either. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's, he's like a, it's like I was just talking with um, to guys who are planning Mike Francesicon this weekend in oh New York. Oh, God, I wish it could be there. And <laughs> they're both like 24 years old. I was like, you don't even know the Mad Dog. But... I'm Did glad they? that the younger generation appreciates Mike as much as I do. That's crazy. Did they know the Mad Dog really? What What was their response to that? No, I mean their their memories are mostly. I mean, are sort of like right around the time of the breakup. I have, but, I have um, some sort of heartbreak. Yeah. I have some heartbreaks associated with the Mike and the Mad Dog breakup. So yeah, I think they all do. Here, here's my story about that, real quick. Uh, it was when they broke up. Most I think it was 2008. Whenever it was, it was right after I just got my first iPhone. Now, up until then, my only I learned about who Mike and the Mad Dog were through when the S Network launched, uh, and I had the mm-hmm. S Network in Buffalo, and I, I would watch them and went from here and there to every day. And I think the very first Super Bowl when they had the marquee contest, that was like the uh, oh my god moment, you know? And uh, like this is just the best thing ever. And oh, and also Mad Dog screaming about the Giants' loss uh, to I think yes. it was the Marlins yes. or something. Like there's like those two things. So I'm such a huge fan, but you know you have to be inside watching on your TV. You know it's doesn't it's it's not always the easiest way to consume a five hour radio show or whatever when you're in college. So finally, I got an iPhone, and the number one reason I wanted to get it is because there was an AB, an AOL radio app. That would stream it. And I had it for three days before they broke up. Three shows I got to listen to in my car on that. So that was... I don't know. Maybe it's like better that way. It's like how I moved to California during the year that Jeremy Lin was on the, you know, had his big year for the Knicks. And I didn't have the NBA package. So I didn't even see like a good half of his big, you know, fourth quarter three-point games um and everyone i mean so jeremy lynn was like the big thing i sort of missed that so i almost i almost was was angry i was very bitter about it and um and then when the knicks you know let him go and everyone was so angry i was like well at least i'm not too upset right now because (laughs) i never got too high as they say yeah Um, so now i'm not getting too low that was fun that was really fun. I'm no Knicks guy. Yeah, I'm barely a I'm basketball still guy. About that. Yeah, we were we were really good. We're, we still are uh, podcast buddies. He doesn't have as much time anymore with Pablo Torre, and uh, right. you know, so we were, you know, he had just the ultimate. You know, basically went to Harvard with him or whatever, or, or knew him from there. I don't remember exactly, but you know, Jeremy yeah, Lin, yeah, Jeremy Lin would do something nuts. They'd put an article that Pablo wrote on the cover of SI and he'd be on our show talking. It was really fun. It was a fun, uh, a fun time there. So I was, yeah. think, I was thinking about you when I was in New York because, uh, you know, I was just, Oh, you know, this is, you know, back to back years thinking about, you know, who's, who's, I wonder if any, you know, yeah, media people are here and I was looking on and I saw you were in uh, green Bay, which, uh, I got a little bit of sports envy of you for <laughs> kicking it down in, uh, in Green Bay for a playoff game at Lambeau. It's just, it's got to be one of the coolest sports experiences of your life, right? Yeah, I mean, I um, I was really excited when my editor first asked me if I wanted to cover any of the um, the, the football games. 
and I said I'd be delighted to cover any of them, but my last choice would probably be going to um, going to New England <laughs> to be surrounded by Boston fans. Right. Um, I was joking because he's a Boston fan, but I was also serious. And um, and he eventually got back to me and said, why don't you go to Green Bay? It's a great game against Dallas. And I was so excited because I'd never been to Lambeau. Um, I've always, you know, just one of those places that's kind of on every fan list of venues that you, you hope to get to at some point. Um, and it was honestly just such a great trip. Like, I went, I was there. First see, of all, how do you practice. get... Hold on, let me help you through this. How do you get from the Enchanted Forest to Green Bay? Like, how does that travel work? It's got to be a complicated jaunt, right? Yeah, so I have my the closest airport to where I live right now is uh, Reno, Nevada. So, oh. um, there's uh, shockingly there's not really any direct flights between Reno and Green Bay. So, um, <laughs> it involves going from Reno to Salt Lake, Salt Lake to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Green Bay. Um, How long is that drive? Terrible, but like on the way back, that that third flight really (laughs) really takes it out of you. Um, So I mean, it wasn't too bad, but um, when I landed there on the Thursday before the game, it was snowing and it was like negative fifteen degrees before wind chill, um, and I almost had a a little bit of a meltdown in the rental car parking lot when I (laughs) couldn't. They had, like, half-plowed it, so I couldn't... I was trying to get my little red sports car <laughs> rental over a hill of ice. But anyway, um, it was it was such a cool trip. Um, I went... After one of the practices, I went across the street from the stadium to this place, Kohl's, which is where you go to get a butter burger, which is a very Wisconsin thing. And within, like, 10 minutes of walking in, the owner was letting me try on his Super Bowl ring. I mean, it's just... It really, like... It fits us to all the, the stereotypes that I mean that in the, in the best way. And the tailgates, the day of the game, were so much fun. Um, everyone's just really friendly and kind of has it down. And um, it ended up being 20 degrees, so it was relatively balmy. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, it was an awesome game. And um, unfortunately, I got kind of, you know, kind of hooked on the Packers in the postseason after seeing that game and being there. So I was pretty devastated by the Seahawks game uh, this weekend. And I think, you know, with everything going on with the Patriots, uh, I think that they just have to, like, let Green Bay and Seattle play in the Super Bowl. It's, it's, it's a contest everyone wants to see again. So well, <laughs> that's what I think. I was talking last week to S.L. Price, who had just – I don't know if you read his piece on Elway. That was in S.I. It was, it was great. And uh, he was nice yeah. enough to come out and talk about it. And I was asking him about how when you finish writing that um, – and then, you know, you spend all that time with Elway and the Broncos, and then and then the piece goes out, and it's it's as well received as it was. And I was asking him about how that changed his perspective about when he sat down to watch the the game that they lost to Indianapolis, and he talked a little bit about that. And I was thinking about you, and I knew you were going to come on in the same terms. Actually, when I was watching the game, I knew we were going to do this this week. I was thinking, I wonder. Because I, I could tell you had a, such a good time, and, and it came out in, in what you wrote, and I was just wondering, and you, you sort of mentioned that you were you were sucked in, huh? Yeah, I mean, it probably makes me a, an unprofessional sports writer, but I'm, nah, I'm always ridiculous. I'm always getting sucked in by things. Um, I mean, I went, I got 
sucked into the Russian hockey team and at the Olympics. Obviously, I wanted the U.S. to win, but I was genuinely sad when when Russia lost to Finland. And um, you know, I, I I always just enjoy going to a new place and seeing the home home team win and um, seeing happy fans and just having that those good feelings. I mean, obviously. Um, you know, obviously, I, you know, it's not to the point where I'm like, have some weird bias, you know, or I'm out to get anyone. But yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to go to a place like Green Bay. I mean, unless you're like a Vikings or a Bears fan or something and, and not kind of feel good feelings about the, the fans and, and the setup of the team and everything after you leave. Um, so yeah, I, I did, uh, <laughs> you know, to, I mean, it, to watch them lose the way they did against Seattle is really the worst thing. Just after spending a morning tailgating with all these fans who were so earnest and so happy and so excited. And to think about how, you know, along with the actual team, like they were probably making plans to go to the Super Bowl oh, or they were, yeah. you know, all at their bars watching. And I just, I have, I have a little too much sympathy. I just think of them and um, it, you know, makes you cringe, but you know, that's part of, part of being a fan is part of your team being good enough to get to those games and it happens to everyone, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of fan whose NFL team is their number one team and it's by a, a lot, like a, a huge, huge margin. The Saints are my number one team in sports and, you know, I'll even sometimes after a, a long day of whatever emotional roller coaster they drag me through, I, I will have some kind of self-reflection where I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm too old for this, you know, maybe this is... <laughs> almost borderline immature, like, you know, and I was just thinking about what I would have done. Like I might, that probably would have been it. I don't think I could, I think I'd have to, I'd have to stop. I don't, I think I could, I don't think I could come back yeah. the next year from that. I was thinking, well, about, it's, it, it's one of those games where you, I mean, when it's, if it's me, it's one of those games where the next day I don't read a single football article. Oh, like day. I pretend it didn't happen. I maybe don't even watch the Super Bowl. Like I, I've had those, you know, I, I'm the New York, I'm a New York Giants fan and they've obviously had a, a, a great run, you know, on a macro level, but they've also had some rough losses. And I always, that's always how I cope by sort of saying, okay, hockey's on, football's over. Um, but I agree. It's just, it's so hard to, I mean, you basically spend the whole first half of the season thinking about it. And then you spend the second half of the season worrying that it's going to repeat itself. And I don't know, it kind of feels like the San Jose Sharks a little bit last uh, year. Uh, um, right. it just kind of hangs over the franchise a little bit for, you know, unless you, you do something to, to change people's memories or to distract them and move forward that way. When my brother was home for Christmas, we had one of these nights where we kind of got lost on YouTube, on the Apple TV. Like, we were just watching this video, watching that video. And, like, the very last video we watched was um, North Dakota losing to Minnesota last year in the uh, in the Frozen Four. I don't know if you remember this, but they had they were on the power play with a face-off in the attacking zone with 10 seconds left. And a kid from Minnesota scored his first goal of the season with, I don't know, a half a second left. I mean, it, it was they the but they reviewed it to see if it would even count. I think they put point yeah. four. And I said to him, I said, "How would you play again after that?" Like I would leave my skates in the Wells Fargo Center, and I'd never think about it again. I don't think. And my brother was like, "Yeah, it's not it. You take them hard like that, but 
he's like, no, I'd be more, I'd be just, I'd be just want to play. The, the hardest thing would be waiting to play again, not, you know, actually playing again and just like wanting to get back so badly. So they could be a day, yeah. you know, I, I would maybe, I'm a little bit worried about uh, Aaron Rodgers with two legs coming off of that next year and, and what he might do to the league. You know, your boss, Bill Simmons, always talks about the FU uh, teams. And I wonder if they could yeah. be an, an FU team next year just kind of because of their own. Oh, I wanted to ask you, we got, we got a little bit away from it, but what was the what was the mood like around the, the big controversial catch and reversal and take me through all that and being in the stadium for that in the Dallas game? Because I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, I was like, when I was watching it from the press box live, I thought from the angle, I, you know, I was kind of on a little bit toward one end. So from the angle where I saw, I thought he had broken the plate and I thought it was a touchdown. Um, and so I kind of just thought that maybe some of the, um, you know, the, the, the ref looking at it and everything was just standard deciding whether it was a touchdown. So I was kind of surprised when, um, you know, just by all the things. And it's also one of those football rules where, like, I have no idea what... Nobody does. Yeah, I, wouldn't yeah. have, I wouldn't have been able to quote that rule beforehand. I mean, nobody you know, does. people know nobody the shorthand can. of the, mm-hmm. it being the Calvin Johnson rule. But it's, even in the press box, because I was like, I'm not a football person. This might be a dumb question, but, like, what just happened? And even some of these, you know, football beat writers were like, uh, you know, I have to, you know, they were trying to look at the replays themselves. So it's just a really confusing time. And, um, you know... I looked at it. I was like, "Well, he put, he, but he put his feet down three times. Like that's a catch, right?" <laughs> well, no. Um, so there was that. I, and then I, I wasn't in the Cowboys locker room. I was in the Green Bay locker room. But apparently, Des Bryant was just kind of was in the locker room for like hours afterwards. Couldn't believe it. Um, and then a- afterwards, I went to a bar just to see what the you know what the tenor of the yeah, town the was town. <laughs> after all that and. It was funny because the a lot of Patriots fans and even like the bartenders were kind of I mean they're they're happy that it went their way um, and you know and some of them rationalized it with like well Dallas got the call that went their way last week but um, but they all were just as surprised and you know a little bit like wow that seemed like a catch to me so I think that was the consensus that you know it was it was a the correct call, but that that the actual law, the rule is, is, you know, leaves something to be desired. And there was probably, a, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but there was probably a lot of, yeah, we got a break, but you know, even if they score a touchdown, there plenty of time, and Rogers is, they, yes, yeah, he's just going to go right down anyway. So stop crying, Dallas, right? I mean, that had to be in the air. There, there's some of that, but I don't think they were. I think on the other hand, like sitting there in the moment. I mean, it, it's not. I mean, Rodgers had definitely came on in that second half of that game in a way that he hadn't in the first half. But mm-hmm. I think people were still remembering some of his throws in the first half. Um, so it was kind of a yeah, there was four minutes left. But um, I think it would have it would have been a, a you know a huge you know momentum swing or, or just um, you know they would have been facing a little bit of a more daunting task than just to you know basically have to get a first down which they did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I feel that, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm happy to see the Cowboys, oh, lose, yeah. to be honest, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I actually love Des Bryant. So I, I feel for him in that situation because, you know, the, the amount that he must be going over in his head and 
um, it's just one of those, you know, those things, my feeling in a broad level on those sorts of calls is that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it'll, it evens itself out, but that sort of volatility is tough to stomach. Right. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it evens it out. You just don't want to take your hits in the NFC divisional round or whatever you want. You, you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want your hits to come in, you know, week two or three and for it to even out for you in that spot or whatever, but. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The sportscasters are here with Katie Baker from Grantland. She's at Katie Bakes on Twitter. So I got to ask you about this too. So in Buffalo, uh, during this long cold winter, uh, the it's a really weird year because we got this whole one Buffalo unity thing going on here with the owner of the Sabers now being the owner of the Bills, and there's a sigh of relief with the Bills. Uh, for the first time almost in my lifetime, there's just this no there's no cloud hanging over the city about worrying about the status of the team in Buffalo. So that all that there's really not a lot in Bills the Bills are sort of settled right now. For now. So the focus mm-hmm. is on the Sabres and it's a weird focus because the city is essentially split and we have the tankers and the non tankers. So where does where does Katie Baker come in on tanking and how you balance your life as a fan and wins are actually losses and somehow losses are wins and is there ethics or integrity involved? And My, my feeling is you operate within the structure of the rules and regulations and you try to find whatever advantage you can find. And I have, I'm I'm totally fine with tanking. I also think that um, I think tanking is more of a uh, a a broad off ice organizational strategy um, more so than it is. And it's being you know, clear. I don't th- I don't think clear. players are out on the ice like not taking a shot because they're trying to lose the game. I think you know the I think the powers that be are assembling a team that they know is not the you know the a team that's going to get them that you know out of the lottery so i'm fine with it i mean if if they want to if if tanking was such a big problem i don't really think it is you know the nhl could change its its framework for well, how and they are. are and they've had they are changing it. yeah they're changing so, it yeah. next year you know next year 1 2 and 3 will be see this year there's two all franchise guys, right? And if you finish 30th, right. you definitely get one of them. You don't have to worry about, you know, some people were like, well, if you, all you're guaranteeing is an 80% chance not to get McDavid. But when you, when you so factor in Eichel, in you, year, yeah, it's 100% Eichel, yeah. to get one or the other. Well, if it was next year, you would only be guaranteed to fall the fourth. You wouldn't, you know what I mean? Next year, one, two, and three. So yeah. Yeah. So they are changing it. But, you know, like you said about it being organizational, it's so clear you know, like guys like Gregorenko are kind of just left in Rochester to have, you know, offensive player of the week award after award. And, you know, they have this yeah. coach who's been sort of sadly set up to fail, you know, and kind of be the the guy to be the coach who has to lose and lose and lose. So when they think they have a team that can win some more, they can get the guy they yeah. really want. You know, they don't want. But I mean, like, yeah, but I mean, like, honestly, I have no problem with that. Like, if that's the, I don't, I mean, if I'm a fan and you, and you like, you know, if you're a fan and you have your own alternate theory of, of what the best way to approach it is, like, that's totally fine. And maybe it's better, but like, 
I never fault teams for having some sort of strategy. Um, you know, I, I think it, the other thing with Buffalo is that you're not, you know, you're dealing with a team that has had has been has had tough seasons for quite some time. I'll put it nicely, and this is the this is the big draft everyone's been waiting for. It, it's not like they're just trying to figure out who's who are the best players of this draft. I mean, people have been talking about this draft for like yeah, three years, four three, years, yeah, four years, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, Since I mean, McDavid and, was granted his exceptional status in the OHL, we've been talking about this draft. Which you know, so that's exactly. about three years. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, so so I think you know, I think it's fine. I, I think um, the other thing is, it's not like tanking guarantees you anything. You've got Edmonton Oilers had three, what three number one picks in a row, and mm-hmm. it still hasn't gotten them out of the lurch. So it's not like it's some you know, cheat code that you can do to get this number one pick and then everything's going to be fine. It's you, You're still taking a risk and it's still a, you still don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's, you know, if I, but, but that said, I don't, I don't fault any fan who doesn't, who feels uncomfortable rooting for the team to lose or anything like that. You know, um, my two things, Katie, is one, I'm all for the taking. I'm just not going to pay for it. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not buying any tickets to go down there and, and watch them lose seven to nothing to Minnesota, who's you know another essentially yeah. last place team with a couple of our old good players on it or whatever. And the other what's thing, kind of, what's kind of funny is that um, I have I, I have a friend who has some you know relatively young kids, and it's been great for for the, the kids because they go to the game cheap tickets yeah. they can get tickets oh, it's yeah. pretty cheap and then they, cheap. and then afterwards they just you know matt molson will go by and hand them a stick and um so it's kind of funny that and i totally agree if i were a fan i wouldn't want to be you know paying or anything like that but it, it you know like with any cyclical industry like there's there's people that benefit even when when things are bad it's just not the people you who normally benefit right. or who expect to benefit. Well, and you mentioned the tough seasons that we've had. And the tough seasons have coincided with July 1st, 2007, which was the day that, you know, within six hours or whatever, Drury and Briere both left what was the defending, I guess, or what would be the defending President's Trophy team that had lost its second consecutive Eastern Conference final in the first one. You know, it was a Game 7 loss to Carolina that, I don't know if you recall, but Jay McKee woke up the day of Game 7 with a staph infection, and he was the fourth defenseman from that, the team that started the playoffs who wouldn't be in Game 7. Kalinin had broken his ankle um, in the Ottawa series, and then every time they won a game in the Eastern Conference Finals, they were down a defenseman for the next game. Talinder, who was one of the best defensemen in the world at the time, as strange as that sounds, uh, broke his arm. Um, for some reason, the Finland defenseman, whose name I'm not going to be able to, Ludman was out, and uh, and then McKee. So that was where you feel like you, you had the best team and you would have won the Stanley Cup against that Edmonton team. I mean, everyone feels that way. And the the feeling now is if we can get the two top centers again, you know, if, it's, if we can get McDavid or Eichel and already have Sammy Reinhart, and this time when the team is built to that level, we have an owner that will pay whatever he needs to pay to keep it together as best he can within yeah. the, the framework of the salary cap. So I, uh, I'm i all for it. I'm just not going to go down there and pay for it. But um, 
it's it's been polarizing here because one of the the best Buffalo News you know writers, a beat writer, Mike Harrington, is so against it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's a fight. It's every night. It's a fight on Twitter between the media and the fans. Well, Mike and the fans, and, and Mike likes it. I think he can't use nice yeah. enough to come on. I mean, we debated it for forty minutes on the podcast here, and he was good about it. But and and I told him, I'm like, you you don't like it because you have to invest so much in this team because of your job he's got to invest so much yeah. time and energy and words and it's it's horrible down there so sometimes you know what i mean it's 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 yeah. bleak but i don't know uh katie baker writes for grantland uh which is great grantland.com at katie bakes on twitter um let's see i think that's about everything i wanted to talk to you about you got to keep your eyes on this yeah hockey team katie i'm telling you it's a it's it's a good team they're built from the back the back up this year and uh, <laughs> lowest amount of goals allowed in the nation. Now they're still way behind a lot of teams uh, in games played, but I think they're still number one if you break it down by goals per game. But Yeah, I was like, I was actually looking at their, I was just looking at the player stats um, before we chatted in case you, yeah. you know, in case you tried to trip me up or anything. Um, no, yeah. I was like, I was like, are these up to date? <laughs> no one's really scored that much. Yeah, no, but, they have yeah, not scored that much at all. And uh, they've been scoring a little bit more. Uh, they're, they're kind of yeah. finding a groove a little bit. And, you know, uh, they have a couple senior forwards who have missed a lot of time, my brother being one of them who broke his ankle and, you know, in Cornell. But in the end, those are going to mm-hmm. be like trade deadline moves for the team. Exactly. You, you know they're what gonna, I mean? Like yeah, they're going to get. You know, get two senior forwards back the first week of February. Uh, Nico Weberg's the other one. You know, you get those guys back in February. That's like uh, those are like trade deadlines. You know, moves. So, yeah, they don't score a lot, um, but they have uh, they have some top end talent. I mean, John Hayden doesn't score a lot, but he's a uh, you know he's going to be an NHL player for a long time. I'm sure the Blackhawks are really glad to have him, and he made Yale proud in the World Junior Tournament. He's the first Yale player I think on the World Junior team in a long time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it should be good. So keep your eye on that. But um, anything else you wanted to mention from the Grantland side or anything you wanted to plug or anything like that? Um, I mean, nothing specific. I'm, um, I'm excited to be going to Francesacon this weekend. So That sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much my, you know, this is the place I was meant to be. <laughs> so, so it'll be great. All right, have fun there. Oh, and uh, since we talked last time, by the way, so I have to ask you, and you can ask me. Since we talked last time, we've both been married. We both had weddings since oh, last time you're on the podcast. Yeah, so how's married life? Well, congratulations for, for you. Um, it's it's been great. Um, the the post honeymoon period is, is is tough to stomach, but <laughs> um, but it's I was like, wow, there's a reason that there's a cliche: the honeymoon's over. Right. Um, it was it was like the ultimate Monday of all Mondays um, to get back from that. But um, where did you but go? Yeah, it's been great. We went to Hawaii. To Kauai. Oh, um, very nice. So, and the great thing about going to Hawaii is that we'd be at the pool and there would be like a. I think one day there was like a Bruins Red Wings game on at like the oh. pool bar at one o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, I could get used to this. Are you going to make a persona change and be Katie? married name at any point or are you gonna professionally live on as Katie Baker I mean honestly I'm so much I on our wedding certificate I have I have my new name dot belt on there but um but I'm I'm such a like 
lazy person and I hate bureaucracy and paperwork and the thought of having, I mean, we just moved recently and I still haven't even changed my address on like many major accounts. So the idea of, of actually having to figure out how on earth I go through with changing my name for all these things is something I, I might need. I might need a while to, to cope with so so that's to be determined yeah my wife is struggling with that too i think we got married on august 16th and just yesterday she got her bank card with her new name on it so yeah, she, yeah it's, it's gonna be a while it's a tough <laughs> maybe someday all right thanks for all the time have fun at uh francesa Khan, and uh we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks so much have a good All right, I want to thank Katie Baker for being on the podcast today. really appreciate that. have to admit, I was pretty surprised when I went to Twitter the other day and noticed that there was a notification that someone had tweeted me that they wanted to know what happened to the original music after the first interview. And I didn't know that the, uh, the Final Fantasy piece had a following. Small one, but a following. And uh, what happened to it, and I mentioned this to the guy on Twitter, but to everyone else, is the clip that we used on YouTube disappeared and we hadn't guarded it properly or ripped it or done anything with it to make sure if it did disappear, we'd uh, we'd be okay. So that was a mistake on our part. But uh, yeah, so we've been just kind of using other Final Fantasy fanfare things that pop up when you Google that as sort of a joke. And uh, we do have plans to, to in the future... Uh, make a drop for the book club. Speaking of the book club, uh, we're just about done with last month. We have had kind of read in to talk about that book, Hockey Cards. And over the course of the last two weeks, and I mentioned this off the top, the next hour of the podcast is going to be different than what we've ever done before. And I think I mentioned it with Don last week, but if you didn't listen last week or you didn't hear, I'll go over it again quick. So, the book, The Death of WCW, the 10th anniversary edition of the best-selling classic, uh, is authored by two guys, R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. And there's been times before we've done books uh, with multiple authors. For example, our very first interview, uh, Death to the BCS, that book had three authors, and we got Jeff Passan on and made a relationship with him. Still have never had Dan Wetzel on. Still would love to do that spot if we ever get the opportunity. And uh, there was a book about uh, Joe Paterno, I think, that had a couple authors. And we brought them both on and did that at the same time and enjoyed that. And, you know, sometimes you just interview one guy, whatever. Well, the publisher was really interested in me interviewing both guys who wrote this book, which I was fine with. Uh, And when they gave me the time, I was expecting it to be the same. But they gave me two different times with a week apart for the two guys. So... I wrote back and said, you know, we really only have one spot slotted for that. Uh, would you want me to do one or the other? Or what, what do you want me to do? And she really wanted me to, to have both guys on. So I said, I'll tell you what. I'll do both interviews. I'll hold the first one. And then I'll mix them together somehow and put it out. And she thought that was a great idea. So I thought about it and couldn't think of any way to do it other than the way I did it. Which is the first guy up is a really kind, fun guy from Indianapolis named R.D. Reynolds. I bring him into the WrestleMania 3 theme. We talk for half an hour. We end. You'll hear the WrestleMania 3 theme again. 
I'll bring in Brian Alvarez and we'll just keep going. So it's just kind of one after the other and they're just kind of plucked together. And then I'll come back with a uh, pick four roundup and uh, one last thing. But the only thing left from last month is I'm still doing my best to get the Al Michaels interview. And I'm guessing at this point it's probably not going to happen until after the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm guessing he's not going to make time uh, during the Super Bowl uh, to speak with me. So it's going to have to wait till after, which could be a blessing. Uh, something incredible could happen during the Super Bowl, and it'll be something to talk about with Al that he hasn't talked about hundreds of times already with a lot of things in his career. Uh, so I'm just going to keep working hard to get that and keep hoping it's going to happen. They keep saying it will. And uh, and then when uh, John Wertheim gets back from the Australian Open, we'll have him in uh, to talk about it as well. All right, so let's see how this works out. It's Royal Rumble week, so let's talk some wrestling, and I'll be back after uh, for pick four and uh, one last thing. Our next guest is from Indianapolis and uh, is the co-creator of the website WrestleCrap and also is the co-author of one of our book club books of the month, The Death of WCW, the 10th anniversary edition of the best-selling classic. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to R.D. Reynolds. How's it going today, Mr. Reynolds? Oh, it's great. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful uh, intro you gave me. I very, very much appreciate it. No problem. So are you a Colts fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's why you're calling me today, right? <laughs> yeah, I just I mean, wanna... we're going we're to discuss uh, whether the uh, Indianapolis Colts have any chance going up to Foxborough uh, if Andrew Luck, uh, who has always lost by 21 points to Bill Belichick and, and Tom Brady and blah, blah, and blah, blah, and can we stop Gronk and all that, yeah. Now, I don't want to get us off on the wrong foot, but I'm a lifelong Saints fan, and I'm doing this interview just inches, oh! just inches away of a 6 by 4 uh, what are these called, fathead of Tracy Porter with his finger pointed running with uh, Peyton Manning's pass there. So, But I don't want to get us on the wrong foot. I mean, it was you, a bit- you know what? Here, here's the deal. It's, it, I, it's funny because when the Colts won – even when they won the Super Bowl, 2006, I'm telling yeah. you, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, and they beat the Bears yeah. in, in 07. Right, January of 07. It was such 07. a yeah. bigger deal. It was such a bigger deal to this town that they beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship mm-hmm. than when they won the Super Bowl. It wasn't even a contest. And, and that was such a huge comeback, too, I remember. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that game because the Saints had just lost to the Bears. Uh, in the NFC Championship game, and I thought it was going to be really bum, but it just had been, it was right after the 3-13 and Katrina season and the first year of Peyton mm-hmm. and Breeze. So, I mean, I kind of got this feeling at the end of, uh, well, that was just incredible that we got to do that this year, and there'll be more from them. And I, I remember just sitting back and kind of enjoying that crazy uh, Colts and, and Patriots game. And I believe that, that that got a, a huge uh, a huge reaction as compared to beating the Bears. There was somewhat of an anticlimactic feel in the Super Bowl, it was more like, okay, Pete. It was almost like when the Red Sox finally beat the Yankees, but then they still had, right. to, they yeah. still had to beat the Cardinals, you know, that in the World Series. But, yeah. Yeah, it, it was funny because, the, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Saints game. 
uh, against Colton in, in, in the Super Bowl. And it was almost like when when the Colts lost that, I really didn't care because I always I felt like the Saints just, you know, needed that. New Orleans needed that way more than Indianapolis did. And that's probably true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, it was one of the best days of my life for sure. I mean, and we talk about it a lot on here. So right now people are rolling their eyes like, really? You know, I thought we were, yeah, gonna get, <laughs> we're talking about this again? <laughs> like, really? So, uh, anyway. We'll talk XFL if you want to veer into football and pro wrestling. We can just merge them together. Oh, yeah, because everyone loves talking XFL, you know. Sure. Now, I want to tell you like a little bit about my life as a wrestling fan. We're we're like big uh, we're big David Shoemaker fans here. He's a good friend of our podcast. We didn't know him personally. He's just been really good to us. And and he said something really smart when we had him on the show. I think right after WrestleMania 30, or maybe when he was promoting his book. I don't remember which time, but he said something like, "Wrestling exists in people's past," and that's been so true for me for so long. You know, I was. Uh, Eight, seven years old uh, at the day of WrestleMania three. It was like the peak of my childhood. You know, we got the pay per view. My friends came over. I was a huge steamboat guy, totally invested in the whole thing about his larynx and you know believing that totally. You know, worrying for his life and things when I was, you know, and and for him to win that, that was like the I would say that was like the peak of my childhood. And I rode the wave for a long time, and then. I don't know, I got into high school and maybe got into something else, and then I got right back on the wave in the Attitude Era. And um, despite being a huge sort of loyalist to the WWF or E, I sort of um, got enjoyed uh, ECW because it felt like uh, a territory that Buffalo was a part of because they ran so many big, big shows in, in Buffalo and you got to go. So I enjoyed that a little bit. But for most of my life, I've been... A huge fan of of the WWF and WWE, but I've also been a huge fan of just the history of wrestling and the business. And even when I was down as a fan, I'd always buy DVDs or read read books like the Bret Hart book. Or actually, ten years ago when I read the death of WCW, despite not being a huge fan, I was really interesting interested in learning about what happened. And um, you know, I was excited when uh, when there was a reissue. And let me see if I have this right. What I've heard is that 10 years ago, there wasn't quite the market for a wrestling book that there is today, and you guys only got authorized to write so much, and that's why this is a 40% bigger book and why you guys wanted to do it 10 years later, or did I mishear that? That was, that was part of it. Another part of it was it was really challenging at the time. We would have people talk to us about what happened behind the scenes, but they wouldn't want to you know, we'd say, okay, great, can we use your name in the book? No, 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 because everyone worked for Vince. And so there was always a concern that, you know, people would not want to have their name in in the book. Uh, so there was some of that. There was a lot of... When the book originally came out, it was, it was one of those things that we had so much in there that I almost questioned, are people going to want even more in there or does it need to read a little better because I essentially did a full edit of the book, uh, you know, before we sent it to, to ECW press. And so we trimmed a lot out of it, but yeah, we did, we did ha- definitely have a, a word count limit, mm-hmm. uh, because it's, you know, it's more expensive if you have, if you're issuing a, a, a fatter book, 
Um, so it was really nice to be able to come back, you know, 10 years later and uh, basically do a director's cut of the book. I mean, like you said, it's 40% larger than the original was. Uh, and a lot of a lot of funny stories that were not in the original book. So well, no, that was that's a- what I'm always looking forward to forward to is the comedy of it. So. You know, one thing I wanted to say about something I noticed for the difference of the books, I remember the friend who gave it to me 10 years ago said, you know, I liked it, but for someone who watched all these shows, it felt a little recappy to me. And then when I read it, I love, and I made up a word, I don't think recappy is a word. Uh, when I read it, then I appreciated that about it because I hadn't watched those shows. So I enjoyed kind of reliving them through the book. What I noticed reading it this time around is that's still there, but like you said, there's more anecdotal material in it as opposed to just uh, summarizing, you know, this night on Nitro and then on this pay-per-view. There's a lot more anecdotal uh, material, I think, this time around. Correct, correct. That's what we were really looking for is to give more of the backstage and uh, and, and opinions from uh, others, you know, who, who were there and saw it because one of the critiques we had uh <laughs> It's almost a comical critique. It's, well, these guys weren't there. They wouldn't know about this. It's like, yeah, but well, we talked to like 50 people that were there. So, but it was good to be able to put a lot more of that into the book. Yeah. Right. And so that was sort of, you're sort of essentially saying what Russo has kind of pinned you guys down on, right? Like, you can't take these guys. Well, it depends on what day it is that Russo has pinned us down on. <laughs> right. This isn't going to be, you know, when I'm on here with you, I feel a lot more comfortable than I was on his podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh-huh. And it was three hours of him basically yelling at me. It was it was <laughs> tremendous. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, we won't do any of that, I promise. Yeah, but, you know. I, I kid, I kid. Actually, I get along with, uh, I, I personally get along with uh, Russo. On, on a personal level, he and I get along great. Mm. It's just that he and I could not have more, uh, differing opinions as to what makes a good pro wrestling show. So. Well, and I think that's a lot of people struggle with. I think he, that there's a lot of people would say that about, you know, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, let me think. Where do I want to go with this? One thing I wanted to ask you is: ten years later, uh, this is a business obviously that evolves and changes, and and has there been a difference in kayfabe, quote unquote, like this time around, were people more open, or did you not have that issue ten years ago? Did you feel like you got more just because of the way the the business has changed from pro the evolution from pro wrestling to sports entertainment? Uh, did that help uh, with looser lips this time around, or or no? There was a lot more because there was so much more. I mean, now you have so many shoot interviews and people doing podcasts, and people writing books. There's a lot more material out there that you can call, a lot more sources you can call from. So that actually made it, uh, that was good because we were able to do that as well. You know, even even uh, wrestlers, you know, who are sadly no longer with us, uh, Eddie Guerrero, you know, he wrote in his book, you know, this is exactly, this, everybody always asks, well, how on earth did these guys who were with WCW, how did they get out with, you know, no non-compete? I mean, that was like crazy. You're in the middle of a wrestling war. There's no way even WCW at the height of its stupidity would just say, okay, here's four really, you know, name wrestlers. We're just going to let them go walk onto Raw. And in Eddie's book, he actually talked about how, you know, they were able to use a death threat um, that was able to get them a full and unconditional release because 
Turner didn't want to deal with a potential lawsuit. And that was, that was not known. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot more out there. There's a lot more available. Uh, you know, just so much, so much information out there that was not available at the time whenever we originally wrote the first version of the book. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting too because the one thing that helped propel WCW really into the wars and, and give them a chance to, to compete with WWE and ultimately overtake them for that long time was getting the WWE stars like uh, Nash and um, and Razor to, to walk away. And then it's interesting on the downside of the company to see that they almost made the same mistake, with, you know, in the case of like, like you were saying, with not having a well-guarded you know, compete and things like that. So that was an interesting uh, part as well. Yeah, but... Yeah. Very much so. The other interesting thing, I actually thought you were going to go a different direction with it, was when they, WCW, when they started Nitro, one of the great things about Nitro is you had all these wrestlers, and they all wrestled a different style. They were all different. So you would have, you know, luchadors from Mexico, you'd have guys from Japan, you would have... Uh, you know, you'd have big lumbering, uh, you know, monsters, uh, you know, they brought in, <laughs> they brought in Loch Ness from, you know, the UK and stuff. I mean, it was very interesting to see. And of course they had the big stars. It was one of the great things about Nitro was it really was something for everyone. And I think once they started to lose that, that's when, I mean, that was one of the cracks in the foundation. And it's, it's also something I really miss today whenever I watch WWE because it's, it's, there's, not, there's not that variety, you know? I mean, you don't have a segment where one, you know, one segment you're going to have uh, Randy Savage, and then the next segment you're going to have Psychosis, and then the next segment you're going to have uh, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, right. You know, it, it's just something that's, it's just something that's missing today. Do you feel that that's going to get even worse as we get to a point where everyone on TV has come through the same training center in Florida and learned the same way to cut a promo and learned the same way to take a bump? Are you worried that that, that is going to be a potential negative of all the good things that are happening down in NXT? I, I think you're already seeing it. Yeah, I think you're already seeing it You know, to a massive degree. So... Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. You know, I wanted to ask you, as someone who, who started a, a wrestling website on the internet f- years back, and um, how things have changed. You know, I've noticed that as I think people who were about the same age as, as me uh, and went through the Hogan era uh, around the same time as me, as they've progressed into adulthood and maybe became bigger gatekeepers uh, in the in the in the non-wrestling media, we've seen things like Bleacher Report, Embrace Wrestling, and Grantland with uh, the Ma- our friend The Mass Man, and, and Deadspin before it. And I know AJ Delirio uh, was one of the guys who, who was instrumental, was a huge Hogan mark, and was instrumental in bringing the, the death of the wrestler columns to Deadspin. And we've just seen a, a more, a, a less, uh, a less, the main sports internet turning their nose down at wrestling. We've seen that change a little bit and evolve over the years. Do you think my theory is to maybe why is correct? Or do you think, it, have you seen something different out there about why that maybe is? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I, I, I don't, I mean, to me, everything is more accessible 
than it's ever been. One of the reasons that my site, you know, WrestleCraft.com, one of the reasons it was, it gained its early popularity is actually due to the exact opposite reason. Because we would feature things that people hadn't seen in years. You know, the, 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 you know, now everybody's like, oh, gobbledygook, or we know exactly what that is. We've seen it on WWE. I can find it on the network. I can find it on YouTube. You know, the Shockmaster, oh, yeah, I, you know, that's on the network. You can find it on YouTube. Um, everything is so much more accessible now. Mm-hmm. And back whenever I started the website, I mean, I was literally pulling, you know, video, you know, grabs, you know, pictures and that type of thing uh, from VHS tapes. And so, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things. Everything is so much more accessible that I think that is probably a larger, that's probably one of the largest reasons why. Plus, everyone's trying to, to throw that net and catch as many possible people as they can. And you And there is a huge... You know, despite the challenges with the network and, and despite the issues we have seen uh, with, you know, <clears throat> WWE being such a stale product, I mean, they still have a huge fan base. And there's a lot of uh, lapsed fans. And so I think that they're, you know, the different, you know, major media sites, they all want to, you know, throw that net out there and catch as many people as they can. There are a lot of wrestling fans out there. A lot of uh, people that would be like, you know, I don't watch... You know, I have no idea who, who Bray Wyatt is, but I see something on Randy Savage, and I want to read about that. So. Right. Well, yeah, I think that goes back to the quote, the whole, you know, how wrestling exists in people's past and how you mentioned the early success of your website was sort of tapping into that and how much more prevalent that is through, like, the network, the documentaries that the WWE and, and even independents have created uh, throughout the years. And, you know, myself, I was pretty much a lapsed fan and then I wanted to really get the network. And when I heard the pay-per-views were going to be on there, I said, well, you know, let me start seeing what's going on on Mondays. And, uh, I watched WrestleMania 30. And the one thing I didn't think they'd be able to do WrestleMania 30 was shock me. And they managed to do that mm-hmm. when the undertaker lost. Cause that was shocking. I remember sitting there right. thinking the whole time, all right, when is he going to finally beat him? Go 22 and zero, and move on to the next thing. And they were able to shock me, which was stunning. <laughs> I was beyond shocked, uh, and I was I was really oh, impressed yeah, everybody with that. Was. And then the other thing that they did that day, or I mean, they didn't do it necessarily, is I couldn't believe how over Daniel Bryan was. You know, it was just so exciting to see that massive crowd in the Superdome, a place that I've watched so many of my favorite moments in life, uh, and been to and. And, you know, just to watch everyone yesing and, and they just ended it perfect. And it kind of just sucked me back in a little bit. And, you know, since then, I'm lucky in one sense that I didn't I'm not worn out of Cena. You know, like I haven't been there for 10 years. And maybe if I have through his run on top, maybe I'd be a little worn out like I know some people are. But I love watching him work and, and seeing a top guy and admiring a top guy uh, uh who's run so long. So it's, 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 you know, it's, there's exciting parts, but then there's, you know, obviously, you know, like bunny and things like that. You don't drive me nuts. So I, I don't know. 
I don't know if that yeah, was a question. Absolutely. But yeah. the nice thing about the bunny is it gives me lots of material still for my website. I appreciate that. Right. You're not going to run out. And, and you know, I love, uh, I love uh, you know, like they'll do something really smart. Like they'll put together uh, Tyson Kidd and, and Cesaro, and I'm like, oh, this could be great. And then the next week it's like the bunny and all those people are behind them. Why? Get them out of there. We don't want those. Two. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't yep. know. But um, – uh, you are at WrestleCrapRD on Twitter, and uh, the book. That is correct. Yeah, and the book uh, WrestleCrap.com, as well as your website. And the book is the death of WCW, the tenth anniversary of the best-selling classic. And I talked to you about how we're kind of talking uh, right before the Colts will play their uh, AFC Championship game, and then I'll talk to your partner right after they played. Uh, the the AFC Championship game, so I'm not going to make any make you make any predictions on the game because I don't want him then to be able to mock your prediction <laughs> after because he will have known what happened. Yeah, he won't even know. <laughs> Brian knows nothing about football. He's lucky. He'd be lucky to tell you what color the football is. So don't feel bad. You're going to ask him anything. Actually, what you should do is you should ask him. Man, can you can you believe that AFC Championship game where the uh, you know the St. Louis Browns uh, <laughs> lost to the, uh, you know, and you just make up something else. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't see that. Or, or he would probably just agree with it. So, I want to ask you one last thing that I'm going to ask him last, too. And I, it's just about the network. And I just want to know, I, I've subscribed since day one, and I love it. And I love mm-hmm. when I wake up and uh, primetime wrestling episodes pop up, uh, you know, when the Saturday, oh, yes. when the Saturday night's main event, oh, mm-hmm. oh my God. I mean, you know, I would run in from outside when it started on Monday nights or whatever it was on mm-hmm. USA to watch. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was in Buffalo. I told you what a big thing, uh, the steamboat win was for me. Well, growing up in Buffalo, that meant that I had to see him lose that title. to the honky tonk, man, and I, cr- oh. I cried on my dad's lap for 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> You know, until so, you know, it's funny you mention that because when I remember the week before, and they showed you know, uh, you know, next week, Honky Tonk Man going to be taking on Ricky Steamboat. I remember sitting around with my friends at this pizza parlor. And I was like, Oh my gosh, can you believe they're going to have that? Boy, wouldn't that be funny if if Honky won that? Oh. And of course, no one thought yeah. that he wouldn't, and he did. No so, one, especially seven year old me. I remember him walking out. <laughs> And thinking, oh man, he's got this. This guy, this guy stinks. This fake Elvis guy, you know, <laughs> he's got this. And then, you know, the, the the cheating aspect of it. I mean, I I cry. I mean, I cried. I'm not even kidding. For half an hour, my dad had to take me for cotton candy and a T-shirt to calm me down. <laughs> you know, and, and then I don't think I went to a cotton wrestling- candy heals all wounds. I've learned. That's right. And then I don't think I went to another wrestling show until my dad took me to WrestleMania six. Because I got a good report card in Toronto, and I seen Hogan lose the belt, and I'm like, and I told him I said I, I think I was you know I was about ten maybe then, so I don't think I cried. At least I tried not to. Uh, but um, yeah, you know I said maybe I don't want to go to see this anymore live. Maybe we'll just uh, stay home. But I, I veered off from what I want to know is about the network, and, and I've really enjoyed so much of what they've done, and, and I hope that there's going to be a lot more of those primetime and hopefully superstars is next, and we'll see some of that stuff or whatever direction they go but what do you think they need to do or what would you like to see them do to to grow the 700,000 number or whatever it is into the millions and to get the retention that they want and to really not have this be the one make or break decision that Vince has made 
that goes in the break direction and, and maybe derails the company if that's even possible. I'm not sure. What I would like to see and what would what I would like to see is completely different than anything that would help you know grow network numbers. Uh, because I would want you know I want this the same thing you mentioned. I want to, I want I want all the prime times up there because Bobby Heenan's my hero and he and Monsoon were the were I mean they were the reason why I really became a wrestling fan. So I'd want all those. I would want more, you know, of the old stuff. But that's not, that is not going to generate more, you know, get more interest from old school fans. But you know, I have a, a, oh, my best friend. He was, he's, he was, he's one year younger than me. And he is also a huge Heenan uh, and Monsoon fan. And a lot of times we would just go back and we would, recite word for word, you know, some of the skits they had on there, like when they went to Tony Paco's hot dog emporium in Toledo, Ohio. Okay. He and I could recite those back and forth. However, even when I tell him, Hey, this, you know, they're starting to put prime times up on the network. He doesn't care. Hmm. You know, he's not going to spend the $10 to do it. He's, he's just not, if he wanted to, he would go out to YouTube. I mean, honestly, the only thing I don't know that there's anything that is really going to drive those numbers up because I think that the amount of people that jumped on board at the beginning, those are your hardcores and those are the people that really wanted such a network. The only thing that would really drive the numbers is if, honestly, is if they could make the product hot again. And it's interesting because whenever they, you know, basically abandon the pay-per-view model, the logic then would be, okay, you've got to get a lot of people to subscribe to this network. You better put your best effort. You better put your best step forward. You better put on matches that people have to go to the network to see. You've got to make your pay-per-views important. You've got to make them somehow, some way, the way it was, Whenever you could go back, and I'm sure you're the same way, you could probably go back. I could probably say, "Hey, tell me what all was on that WrestleMania six card." Yeah, you know, and yeah. you could probably go. You probably mm-hmm. you probably tell me everything. Tell me what was on WrestleMania three. Tell me what was on WrestleMania five. You probably name if you couldn't name every match, you could probably name eighty percent of them. I can recite every were, word from WrestleMania three. I can put that DVD on and say everything that everyone says from WrestleMania three. You know. I've right. watched it so many times, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But the problem is now, if I were to come to you and say, hey, tell me in order, tell me what matches were at WrestleMania 30, <laughs> I bet you, you might be able to, maybe you could name half of them. Right. I had to look I up the other day like who's seen a wrestle. Two of them. Yeah. Do what? I had to look up the other day who's seen a wrestle. I forgot that it was uh, Wyatt. I had to look that up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you have to make an important. The only the, the the people that are the old school people, that's not going to drive. <clears throat> that's not going to drive your numbers because those people they don't care. They'll go to YouTube, whatever. The only way you can drive those paper the the network numbers is to make what is on the network with today's audience. I mean, you have four million people or whatever watching Raw on Monday night. Okay, you need to convince those people 
you have to see what is going to happen at, at this pay-per-view. And it can't just be WrestleMania. Right. It has to be every month. You have to give them something that is so important that isn't a rehash of what they have seen on Raw. You know, you you can't do that. You have to make it something so important that people are like, oh my gosh, I've got to spend, you know, it's only 10 bucks. I've got to do this. you got to do that. That's the only way you do it. And, you know, I know a lot can happen between now and then, but I think WrestleMania 32 is going to be such an important show. Such a pivotal uh, turning point moment for them, especially. I mean, I, I think we're just all assuming it's going to be in Dallas. I don't, is that actually 100% confirmed? I, I guess it is. I don't know. I know that's what everyone says. It's going to be in Jerry World. That's such a massive place, even compared yeah. to where WrestleMania 31 is going to be in the new uh, 49ers Stadium. It's such a massive place, and for that not to look silly, they're going to really need to pull out all the stops. I think. To fill that building is going well, to be I think, a real challenge. I, I think, think that's going to be a pivotal day for the business. With a live, you know, your live crowd, because you'll get people to come from all over the world. I think I, I don't think it's going to look sparse. I mean, the name WrestleMania will make it not look sparse. Right. I well, mean, that's what CM Punk says, right? Such a way. Excuse me. I said that's what CM Punk says. He says WrestleMania sells WrestleMania, so that would be that would. That will prove his point yeah. that day if they if it's just a you know if there's nothing crazy like Austin versus Undertaker I, I'm just putting names out there but something crazy like that if that's not there and they can fill that building I think that that's going to be a huge huge that, that will prove his point beyond belief that WrestleMania sells WrestleMania but absolutely right. absolutely. Uh, listen, thank you so much for the time and uh, I I, th- I know I said at WrestleCrapRD on Twitter. Uh, WrestleCraft.com. Obviously, you've been plugging the book like crazy. Is there anything else you want to let our listeners know? Uh, just the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, we actually do have, uh, I mean, WrestleCraft.com is the website. It's the uh, it's a comedy website. We look at the very worst in pro wrestling uh, and, and present it as humorously as we can. Uh, and, you know, the website's been around since April of 2000. We're actually coming up on our 15th anniversary. Congratulations. It's crazy to think that I've spent a third of my life working <laughs> on horrible wrestling, uh, writing, but it's also something that, uh, yeah, we're really proud of. And, uh, we also have two other books, uh, Russell crap, the very worst of wrestling and the Russell crap book of lists, uh, which are also, uh, books that I have, I have helped write. So, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and congratulations on 15 years of the website, and uh, hopefully we can talk again sometime. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The Great Gorilla Monsoon would often say before big wrestling events that history would be made. And on the podcast today, we're making history as you just heard our first half of the interview with the two authors of The Death of WCW, the 10th anniversary edition of the best-selling classic uh, by ECW Press. And now we're going to bring in, only separated by that little WrestleMania theme, the other author who is from Seattle, Washington. Uh, He's also making his first appearance on the podcast He's the author of this great book, The Death of WCW, and he also writes for Dave Meltzer's uh, Wrestling Observer, 
website, which actually merged with his website, which was the Figure Four Online uh, publication. And uh, we're really happy to have him here. So, warm sportscasters, welcome to uh, Brian Alvarez. What's up, Brian? What's going on? How you doing today? Very good. It's that magical week uh, as a child that I look forward to. It was like the, the the biggest week that my parents would accept wrestling because there was no football that week. So they're like, oh, you want to order wrestling this week? Oh, okay. Well, we're not having any friends over for the Bills or for football or anything. So, all right, let's do that wrestling thing. You know, so that was always what made – each of the big pay-per-views had their own, like, reason why I love them. Like, SummerSlam was right before my birthday, which was a double-edged sword because it also went back to school. Uh, but – Royal Rumble was one my parents would watch because there was no football. WrestleMania was, you know, WrestleMania. But I don't know. It's Rumble week. So um, why don't we start with that, which is going to be really awesome right after our D and I had just finished kind of really going at the book pretty hard. But uh, all right. So last night as we record this was the, I guess they call it the go home show on Raw. And uh, I wonder after that show, I'm just curious. I want to I see where you're at. Are you more or less excited for this year's Royal Rumble? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm more excited because it was the first good Raw they'd had in a long time. I think there was one about three weeks ago that was pretty good, but in general, the show has been terrible for months now. And here we are for the go-home show for the Rumble, and they finally did an exciting angle to end the show. They teased the Brock babyface turn. He destroyed two guys, which is always exciting. Sting showed up to set up the match with Triple H at WrestleMania. And it all tied together there at the end of the show. So the, the first two hours and 45 minutes was your usual Raw show. Nothing's happening. Nobody cares about any of the guys. But they did really turn it up in the last 15 minutes. And if you recall, if you were a WCW fan, that was one of the things about WCW that was – one of their strong points early on, which is they would have all of these. Actually, this was uh, near the, uh, it was actually the WWE side that did this. WWE would have all of these terrible undercards, just bad wrestling guys. Nobody cared about. And then at the end of the show, they'd have this great main event. And so everybody would walk away from it going, man, what a, what a great show. And unfortunately for WCW, they were the other way around, where they'd have Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, all of these great workers having all these great matches on the undercard, and then their main event would be terrible. You'd have Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper having a horrible match. And so when the show was over, that's all you were left with, which was, man, what a terrible show. (laughs) And over a period of time, Raw started to overtake them. And again, going back to Raw, they had a great finishing angle, and so you kind of forget about all the terrible stuff that happened earlier. Do you think that they're better at building towards a pay-per-view when they have a small window or when they have this sort of bigger window like they just had with the – was about five weeks as opposed to I think last time was maybe like three? Do you think they're particularly better at either or you think they're just kind of really dragging either way right it, now? It makes, it makes no difference. I mean if you I, – I did a – for Royal Rumble week because everybody is so excited like you are, we're doing a special thing on Sports Byline USA where – all day this week, we've got a show at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern, a live show. People call in. We're talking all the news. Everybody's getting excited for the Rumble. And when I was doing the show yesterday before Raw, we were talking about the Royal Rumble card. And even though they had five weeks or whatever in between pay-per-views, yesterday, exactly six days before the Rumble, there were 
three matches announced, one of which was the Royal Rumble. So really, there was only two matches announced other than the one that everybody knows is coming. So the way they operate, it doesn't matter if they've got three weeks or if they've got 30 weeks before a pay-per-view. They're always going to wait until the last week or two to really build the thing up. So it doesn't really make much of a difference. It should in theory, but in real life, it doesn't. I'm just curious, are you a uh, a Let's Go Cena or a Cena Sucks guy? I should know this about you probably, but I didn't get to that in research. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a let's move Cena down the card guy. I don't think that they should get rid of John Cena, but I do think that it's time that somebody else took the John Cena role. He's He's been in that position now for over a decade, and that is a long time. And as a fan, I cannot think of one John Cena match where I would go, I can't wait to see that one headlining a pay-per-view because John Cena has wrestled every last single solitary person in the company. And the people that he hasn't wrestled are in a position now where nobody's really going to care. I mean, would it be a huge deal to see John Cena versus Fandango in a main event? That would never happen. So all of the main event level guys right now, I've pretty much seen John Cena wrestle. So I think it's time for a new guy. I think that there's still a place for John Cena, obviously. I don't think we need to get rid of him or anything like that. But the John Cena top babyface experiment, I'm ready for something new. Who do you think is capable of that level of work rate and reaction? Because, I mean, his, his reaction is still, when you combine the two, by far the biggest of the night almost every time with the exception of Daniel Bryan. From what I'm watching, well, I'm that's. Seeing. Yeah, so he, if you, the reason is when you watch John Cena and, to a lesser extent, Randy Orton, and that's really about it, and Roman Reigns, actually, to a degree these days, but John Cena is always portrayed as the top guy in the company. He always wins in the end. Whatever you do to him, he doesn't care, and he comes back and he's victorious. He always is portrayed as a guy who does the right thing, et cetera, et cetera. And no, they don't treat anybody else like that. And so the answer is there is nobody right now. I think there's a lot of guys where if you protected them like a legitimate top guy, they could move into that slot. I, it would take a while for them to be as successful as John Cena. You can't just replace John Cena with a, a snap of the fingers. You've got to find the right guy. You've got to push the right guy. You've got to protect the right guy. You've got to give the guy the right opponent. The guy can't ever lose except on very, very rare occasions. And if you listen to what I just said, how many guys do they do that with besides John Cena? Nobody. Roman Reigns, like I said, to a degree, I, I think he's lost one time in WWE, but he's, he's, not, he's not the show. They don't push him as John Cena. They're trying to turn him into John Cena, which is a mistake, but they're not pushing him like John Cena. Dean Ambrose loses all the time. Daniel Bryan lost on Raw. Everybody else loses all the time. They, they protect nobody. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you don't protect anybody on the card, and when you try to replace John Cena with anybody, it's not going to work. It takes a lot of hard work and protection to make another John Cena. And the only guy they've come close with is Roman Reigns. And I'm not sure he's the guy right now. Yeah, I mean, don't you cringe when you hear the uh, Beanstalk promo and things like that and say... They suck. They're yeah. horrible. He'd be doomed. And it's right not now. even the guy's fault. Right. It, it's it's an example of if you look at all of the flag bearers, 
if you look at all of the top guys in WWE history, the real top guys, I'm not even talking Undertaker. Undertaker was never given the chance to be the top guy. He was just a guy who had the championship here and there. Somebody else won it from him. You look at the, the real legitimate top guys, and the new top guy, if it worked, was always different from the top guy that came before him. Before I came on, you played the old school WrestleMania theme. Right. And when I was a little kid, man, that was the WrestleMania theme when I was a kid. And I was so excited when the Ultimate Warrior was going up against Hulk Hogan at <laughs> WrestleMania 6. I was there. And for a lot of kids, that was such a big match. Yeah, I cried. But if you recall, within a year, the Ultimate Warrior was out of that position. And they put the belt back on Hulk Hogan eventually. Right. And the reason for that is because they wanted the warrior to replace Hulk Hogan. But the warrior was way too much like Hulk Hogan. He was a big cartoon muscle man. And you can't replace the top guy with a guy just like him. The people are waiting for something new. And so to try to make Roman Reigns into a brand new John Cena, it's, I guarantee you, I promise you, it's not going to work. The only way it's going to work is if he's his own guy and he's got to be different from John Cena. Now you mentioned Hogan and I was listening I was flying back in from New York, uh New York City back into Buffalo and I was listening to a little bit of uh I think it was Jericho had Hogan on his podcast and they were talking about uh Hogan's turn in WCW and and if he th if Hogan thought that that's something that uh WWE should consider with John Cena. I mean this is obviously one of the most debated wrestling topics on a day-to-day -day basic that that exists, but do you, th are you, you seem, just from talking to you for the last 10 minutes, someone who's very, very burnt on the, uh, on the character that is John Cena now. Could you get re-energized behind Cena as a top guy in the uh, opposite role? It's possible. I mean, when, when Hulk Hogan turned heel, it was the right place, the right time, the right guy. Hulk Hogan had been on top in WWF, and during the early to mid-90s, he fell away from that position. He left for a while. The wrestling audience in the mid-90s, a lot of them had left and they were doing something else. And when the Monday Night War started, all of these guys that Vince thought were too old, like your Hulk Hogan and your Randy Savage and your Ric Flair, all of these guys, when Nitro started, you had a lot of fans who, they had been little kids, when Hulk Hogan had his run and they got back into wrestling when they were six, seven years older. So now they're teenagers and Hulk Hogan was the guy they grew up with. And he wasn't, it was new to them again because they, they, they'd come back to wrestling. And so Hulk Hogan was on to, I've been watching all of the nitros, right? And, and Hulk network, Hogan yeah. is on, he's on nitro and he's doing the same 1980s character in 1995. And you could already see the people starting to turn on him because he he was a he was a cartoon character. Right, and he mentioned that. And all too. of these, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so when he turned heel, now he was a bad guy. He was still fresh to all of these these new viewers, but he got an edge to him. They were teenagers now. It was cool that this guy, this cartoon character they grew up with, was now this badass. So they got into his heel turn. But what about John Cena? It's, it's 10 years he's been on top. You turn him heel and you're going to get a, you're, you're going to get something if you turn him heel 
But this is not like Hulk Hogan in 1996. It's just, it's completely different. And John Cena doesn't want to do it, so he wouldn't have his heart into it. And that's fair. But I'm listening to you talk and thinking about the five, six, and seven-year-olds who were loving this company at the birth of the PG era when Cena first made his run on top and what age they are. So what what about all those kids? We can't capitalize on that, you don't think? Because I'm listening to what you're saying and why you said it worked, and I'm thinking, wow, isn't there a huge portion of maybe Cena's fans, uh, maybe people that they counted uh, that left them 300000 short when they thought they'd get a million and they've been hovering around 7000 Maybe it's those people that are 15, 16, 17 years old now drifted away and you might be able to drag them back in with a with the bad guy seen out of the way, or, or am I? I, I think the I think the generation is different. Okay. I think that when Cena first started, you still had all of those fans who were probably in their late twenties, early thirties, when when John Cena was was I'm sorry, late yeah late twenties, very early thirties when John Cena was on top. If you look at the the average age of a raw viewer now. The average age of a raw viewer is my age, about 39, maybe 40, 41, somewhere in there. And if you go back to the boom period, the average age of a raw viewer was like between 18 and 22. So to me, it, it appears to be the core group of WWE viewers right now are the people who are my age. And so I think when John Cena first hit it big, he was doing his deal in front of late, uh, you know, late 20, early 30 year olds. And they were just starting to have kids at that time. And so I don't think there were a bunch of little kids were watching John Cena in 2004 or so that were, that were super into it. I think that now you've got all those little kids. I think the John Cena audience right now is between like eight and 12 years old. I don't think they're, I don't think they're young teenagers or, or 16, 17 year olds yet. I don't think that generation is coming along for like, Maybe another five, six years. Right. No, that's very smart. And, um, you know, I think maybe what you're saying is a lot of, a lot of people who got – who propelled Cena to the top now have kids maybe that they're watching with. Yeah, and those kids yeah, are like eight, kids. nine – all of my right. friends that are my age, that were huge wrestling fans during the boom period, their kids are like eight, nine, ten years old right now. They're not teenagers. I mean, obviously, there are teenagers watching. Obviously, right. there are people of every age watching. But the the core WWE viewers, their kids right now are around eight, nine, ten years old. They're not teenagers yet. When they become teenagers, if you want to talk about when WWE needs to go to PG thirteen or whatever, get away from this PG thing, that's gonna be like six, seven years down the road. If they do it six, seven years down the road, I think you can have maybe the beginning of another boom period. You know, I uh you're very very smart. <laughs> um all the guys that we do talk about wrestling. Uh, who bring in, they, I, they always make me stop in my tracks and say, wow, I, I get why these guys do this uh, every day. They're very, they think about the business in just such a smart way. And one thing I wanted to ask you about it, and whenever I, I, I think I'm going to have a guest or know I'm going to have a guest, I always stay away from anything else they do. And I was actually reading online, I think you were retweeting a bunch of stuff about how maybe you're getting sort of teased as like a, uh, a podcast, uh, the king of all podcasts right now, probably going around uh, doing promotion for the book and stuff like that. I think it was you who had retweeted a bunch of stuff. And uh, I did listen to part of what what JR had uh, – JR the interview you did with JR in his podcast, the last one, maybe like in January. I felt like there was enough distance between the two. And one thing I thought he kind of asked you, which I don't know if he exactly asked it this way, but I think he might have. But 
do you look at what's happening on NXT and I always hear about how great it is and I've watched the big events that they put out on the network and I enjoy them, not to the level it seems that some people do, uh, but do you watch the product down there and think, wow, if that that's Triple H's thing and maybe when we get to the point where Triple H doesn't have Vince above him still when it's just his thing on the main roster that maybe we'll get what we've seen down there. Does that like offer a, a ray of hope for you? Well, it's impossible to predict the future. You got to remember that Hunter has had some ideas where he's really struck out. I mean, the Ascension, that was Hunter's baby. And it's <laughs> not a good idea. Right. Yeah, that stinks. It, it, yeah. it wasn't even, the funny thing is, it wasn't even working in NXT. Like, they were undefeated forever. They were the champions forever. And and by the time they were about to go up to the main roster, nobody cared about the Ascension. This was a big strikeout. But Hunter has been open to signing a lot of guys that Vince never would have signed. Vince never would have signed a Kevin Steen. He never would have signed a Generico. He never would have signed an Adrian. All of these guys, uh, Hideo Itan, all of these guys, are guys where Vince McMahon would say, Tommy is too small. Sami Zayn is too skinny. Kevin Owens is too fat. Adrian Neville is too short. I mean, every single one is not what Vince McMahon looks for. But Hunter has been open to signing them because they are extremely talented. And what I like about NXT more than anything else is it harkens back to when wrestling was significantly more popular than it is today. I'm talking like the number of wrestling fans that you had in the United States watching all sorts of different promotions. It was significantly more popular in the past, and it was a lot more simple. You had some guys come out. They had matches. Some guys won all the time. Some guys won about half the time. Some guys never won. And you build up two guys that never lose. You put them in a match together. They tell people why they don't like each other, and people care. And you watch Raw nowadays, and you got one guy who never loses, maybe two. Everybody else switches wins, and nobody cares. And it's, it's, it's not working. I mean, why, did, why was Raw getting over last night? The most exciting things on Raw were Brock Lesnar, who's never on the show, and Sting, who's never on the show. Everybody else on this show, people kind of care about or they don't care about at all in nxt and granted it is a it is a much smaller building it's a different kind of audience they they consider everybody their guys but everybody is over to the degree they should be over in that company sammy zane is so ridiculously beloved by these fans adrian net all of these guys everybody is over to the degree that they should be over based on how they're booked. And I hope that one of these days when Triple H takes over, you can't turn WWE into NXT, but there's a lot of things that are done in NXT. And the biggest one, by the way, is they have one writer. Ryan Ward is the main writer of NXT. And he's got a couple of people that help him and they give ideas and, and that sort of thing. But there's one guy Right. And he's got a vision, and he writes everything out. And if you look at how that compares to WWE, they have 28 writers. 
And you don't need 28 writers. You need one smart guy. And I hope that there are little things like that. Tear down the writing team a little bit. Uh, ideally, you, you'd cut the show down from three hours, even if it costs you money. Even if you lose a little bit of money because you're cutting from three hours to two and you're missing out on ad revenue. In the long term, these little changes could go a long way to making this thing a lot better than it is right now. Yeah, you know, whenever I, they have those news or those uh, calls when they're going to like update the finances and stuff, and you know they're what's going to come after that is like a trimming of the fat. I always hope that the first thing they trim is the writing team, just because you know I was tapped out from probably WrestleMania 17 until right before WrestleMania 30 and the the debut of the network, and um, you know I came back because of the network and uh, and to give it another try and. And and see what was going on, and I missed I missed watching and going and things like that. But um, so in in because of that, I'm not quite as burnt on Cena. I'm really enjoy I've I've been enjoying watching him work at at a really high level because I, I haven't had to sit through it for ten years, so I'm not quite as burnt out anymore or yet. And same with Orton and um, but uh, one thing I was busy doing uh, while I was tapped out in that time was. I think it was David Shoemaker who said on my podcast that uh, wrestling largely exists in people's pasts. I thought that was a really smart statement that he made, and it's always been true for me. Uh, WrestleMania three was the the, epi- the the epicenter of my childhood. I mean, watching Steamboat win that match, I was so invested in that storyline, so much believing that his throat was very much hurt. And I told your partner about how uh, I uh, was there when Honky Tonk defeated him and cried for a half an hour on my dad's lap and. You know, it was the most devastating thing that happened to me at that point in my young life. But while I was tapped out, I did things like watch the DVDs they put out, which can be quite good, and read books like yours. Uh, Ten years ago when I read The Death of WCW, it was given to me by a friend who knew I wasn't a big WCW fan uh, during the the period and said there's a lot of great information you can learn uh, about the business. And it was that. Uh, I think that the thing... That I'm that the thing that he looked at as a negative about your book at the time was for him there was a little bit too much summary of events he would he had seen uh, that was perfect for me because I hadn't seen many of those events uh, when I picked the book up again this time that's still there but there's also this extra forty percent of information which backed up a lot of the things you said and uh, really put some some extra meat on the bone that when I handed the book to him this time he said. Okay, yeah, wow, this is this is very much improved, and I very much enjoy the way that extra forty percent in the book uh, brought to life some of what was maybe summary last time. What do you think about our two views of uh, the book from then and and now? Well, I mean, originally, I mean, the original book was much closer to the one that you're reading now, the anniversary edition, because that was that was essentially with the exception of adding in some interviews and, and I, I beefed up some chapters. But in general, the new book is the old book with all the stuff that got cut out, put back in. Kind of like a director's cut. That was what we, the new book is what we wanted the original book to be. But when we turned in the manuscript, they were like, this book is way too long. And right. so we got to cut out a bunch of stuff. And so they, they cut all that stuff out. And luckily, we still had it. And so when the 10-year anniversary came, it was like, why don't we just reissue this and put all that stuff back in? And obviously, there's a lot of stuff to be updated. So the new book is what we wanted the original book to be. And, and at the end of the day, I wanted it to be a book. It's been in print nonstop since it was originally published. 
which is great. Uh, not a lot of books are, are in print for 10 straight years. And uh, the reason for that is because it was supposed to also be a history book. I mean, when I wrote it, I, I wanted it to be a book where nobody else would ever bother writing a book about this because we covered everything. That was, that was my intention. You know, there's, there's a million books about a million different topics. I mean, there's 5 million books about who murdered JFK and there oh, yeah. could be 5 million more in the future. And I thought if we do a good enough job writing about this topic, there's not that many wrestling books anyway, but if we do a good enough job, nobody will ever have to write this book again. If you want to know what happened to WCW, this is the only book you need, and this is the only book you'll ever have to buy. That's what, until we did the reissue. But that was my intention with the book. So, yes, I wanted to have a timeline of all of the events. I wanted it to be as dense as possible with still without making it unreadable. And and that's a lot of it has to do with RD making it uh, a lot more entertaining. Funny, yeah. Than maybe my original would have been. But yeah, that was the whole idea behind it. This is going to be the book about the death of WCW. No one should bother writing another one because we've covered it all. Well, I got to think that the way you guys have been able to promote it is light and day to them. Uh, I don't exactly remember what promoting a book was like 10 years ago. I certainly didn't have a show that... It was impossible. Right. And now you... I mean, you've been able to go on so many podcasts that you're almost getting teased about it, uh, which is great for someone trying to sell a book. And there's also sites like Grantland now and Bleacher Report and um, a couple other you know mainstream type sports sites uh, that are covering wrestling. And ten years ago, they wouldn't, unless it was a death, and and then it's a maybe, you know. And I've been thinking about that. And another really interesting thing I've been thinking about and wanted to ask you about is not only are you having a, a place to talk about the book, but other people who are in the book already have forums and are stepping out and talking about it. Uh, like, you know, there's a ton of people who are mentioned in this book who have their own podcast and I, who I've known either talked to you about the book or talked on their own about it. And your partner even mentioned uh, spending three hours getting screamed at on Vince Russo's podcast when we talked to him last week. So what has the overall media experience been like and the idea that people in the book have their own uh, forums where they can uh, speak openly and honestly about what they have read in your book? Well, I mean, I've done a million shows and I have in my email bin a whole bunch of requests to do shows and I just haven't had time to do them. I am very, very happy about that. When the first book came out, I don't even remember, like you said, how we even promoted it. I know that, you know, I plugged it on the website. I plugged it in the newsletter. RD plugged it on his WrestleCrap site. And that was about it. I mean, I had the Wrestling Observer live show that I plugged it on, and Dave plugged it in the Observer. But I mean, it was it was significantly more difficult than it is today. It, it's hard to it's hard to say how effective everything is. I mean, I, I plug it on Twitter. Uh, I can kind of track how many books I've sold through my own Amazon affiliate link. But I mean, I don't know. I really don't know how many books we've sold. I know that it did better than their expectations but I don't know what that even means. Right. I know that, I mean, the funny thing is, I feel like an old man when I say this, but 
I am 39 and I grew up and I always would go to the bookstores for my books. And I do go to bookstores and I don't see the book, which is a little bit frustrating. But then there's that part of me that thinks there's Someone only one it. bookstore in my entire town. So maybe the book sold out. Yeah, I don't they know, had a couple but, copies and someone came in and scooped them up. Yeah, who knows? But right. I do know that it sold tons and tons of copies online. I know it sold tons of copies on like the Kindle and everything like that. I probably won't know accurate numbers until the first check comes out in, in the spring and summer, but it seems that it's been uh, like all of the all of the different shows and everything like that. It, it seems like it's been pretty effective, so I, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I don't mind being called the uh, king of podcasts or whatever they said on Twitter. That's <laughs> fine with me. That's all I do is podcasts, but uh, a lot it's of been easier this time. Well, as far as I know, you're out of time, and I apologize if we didn't get to as much of the book as I would like, but uh, remember, we also did almost 45 or 50 minutes with your partner as well, so there's a ton of great stuff from beginning to end here, and uh, before I let you go, I want you to just set it all up and just kind of help me through this. Now, I know that the death of WCW, the 10th anniversary of the best-selling classic, is available on Amazon three ways, hardcover, which is what I have here, uh, paperback, and of course, a Kindle edition. Uh, which would be the the digital version of the book, which is great if you like reading on your phone or your or your uh, tablet. So that should cover the book, and uh, we've talked about it with both authors. Nice hour uh, long thing here, and we've talked on email and Twitter with uh, a bunch of the listeners who were reading along with it as part of our book club this month. Uh, so thank you for letting us be a part of that. But besides that, I have a feeling that a lot of our fans are going to be. Uh, fans of, of you now. So what? where else can they go to find all the other great wrestling stuff that you do? Uh, and there's a ton of it. So go ahead and, and let everyone who listens to our show uh, know about that as well. Well, the number one place to go is WrestlingObserver.com, which has everything you ever know need to know about anything that we do. Uh, I don't do too much writing anymore, but I do do a lot of podcasting and radio shows. I do... Two shows a day on average. On Sundays, I usually do three, and they're all about an hour long. And you can get all of those at WrestlingObserver.com. It's a subscription site, but we do usually two or three free shows every week. And those are all linked up on the right-hand side of the page. So if you want a sample, you can head up there. We've got a free channel on TuneIn Radio that cycles the shows throughout the day. And we have free downloads. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all of these different places, searching Wrestling Observer. And if you sign up, you get all of the new shows every single day and every show we've done dating back to 2005. So that's, I think, between six and 7,000 hours of audio are archived on our site. And we interview everybody, all of the biggest stars, Flair, uh, Bruno Sammartino, Landstorm, Jim Ross, Paul. I mean, everybody has been interviewed on the site and those are all available in the archives as well and, and people yeah, should three know. times the content of the wwe network so right and people should know that the wrestling observer is is it's the name it, it is the uh it was the quote-unquote dirt sheet uh dave Meltzer's name is gold in the business and you've just since you've combined with him only uh up the profile of the site so it's uh it's a great place if you're looking there's so many subscription uh, base things around between your Netflix and your if there's a few podcasts and and if you're in the network and and this would be if you're looking for one wrestling one this would be the one for sure 
uh, to be able to listen to read uh, Brian and Dave's work there. All right, I got to let right. you get the observers up there as well. All of the observers, all the of observers, them, yeah, and a ton of back issues are up there too. Who's going to win the Rumble? Who are they going to put over? Probably going to be Roman Reigns. You think you're going to stick with that, huh? And uh, oh, uh, last thing. So by my by my, let me see. I'm not great at math, but in 1994, that year when Super Unknown and Jar of Flies and Vitology and only a few months after In Utero had come out. Let's see, you would have been five years uh, older, 19-ish. So were you 19. A, yeah, were you a big uh, Seattle music guy? And do you have any uh, really cool, I walked into this place and Eddie Vedder, Kurt Cobain, and Lane Staley were all drinking a bottle of Jack and I sort of sat in with them and... Uh, we sang uh, I'll Stay Away by the Fire type stories or anything like that? Well, I liked I liked Nirvana and I liked Pearl Jam. I wasn't a huge fan or anything like that, but I live in Bothell, which is about 25 minutes north of Seattle. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. I love Seattle, but I also hate Seattle. I hate driving down there. <laughs> it's, 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 it's better now. But it used to be a complete disaster to get in and out and around Seattle. And so I never went there. But tonight on the Brian and Vinny show, uh, Tuesday nights, my buddy Craig is always on the show. And this guy, if you had him on the show, he could talk about the Seattle music scene for 16 years and tell you all sorts of crazy stories. He is a hardcore Seattle music fan. He's been to, I think, legitimately about... 500 Pearl Jam concerts during his lifetime. Yeah, I've been to so 80. he would be but, the man to yeah, ask. I've been to 80, but 500 would be impressive. That'd be about two-thirds probably of what they played. Uh, listen, um, I'm just about tapped on time actually into overtime. So thank you very much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. If we ever do this again, I'll have to talk to you. I wanted to. I had it written down. We didn't get to it. About what the, the territory w- was like uh, in the Pacific Northwest you were growing up and how big of a Billy Jerk Haynes fan you were, uh, which is always what I think That's of right. when I think of that territory. But uh, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you hopefully again sometime. All right. Thanks so much. All right, I want to thank R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez for being on the podcast, talking about the great book, The Death of WCW, talking about the state of wrestling with me as well. Really appreciate that. and really want to thank Katie Baker as well for being on the podcast. Don't forget, you can find this week's podcast on our website, www.sports-casters.com. Also on that website, you can find our past work, including last week's podcast with S.L. Price, Ken Reed and John Hayden from Yale. All our podcasts are there, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find me on Twitter, at sports underscore casters, and don't be afraid to email the sportscasters at gmail.com. Another thing I wanted to do before we signed off for today was uh, to recap pick four. I went one and one, Don went two and oh. Don got them both right. He finishes the NFL pick four season at 22 15 and 1, which is very good, but not quite as good as me. I went 1 and 1. Uh, I had 
The Patriots won with that and lost with the Seahawks. Uh, I think I said Don won with Packers and Patriots. If I mentioned that, I don't know. Uh, and I finished the season 23-14-1. One game victory over the course of the season for me over Don and pick four. And uh, with the NFL season sort of ending, and we'll make Super Bowl picks obviously next week, but with the NFL season ending, I think we're going to transition out of pick four. I don't think we want to pick hockey games and college basketball games and things like that because, one, I don't think anyone cares uh, what we think. We barely think people think we care about these football games. Uh, but people like football picks, or we, we trick ourselves into thinking that. Uh, and I think what we're going to do is sort of transition back into one last thing. So one last thing for me today. It's a subscription world out there. You got all these things you have to decide if you're going to pay for them or not. And uh, I pay for some. I have Netflix. I think a lot of people pay for Netflix. Have that streaming service at their home. I also pay for the WWE Network. 770,000 or so people have that. Uh, Not as many as they were hoping. And I like that. I don't expect everyone who listens to have or like that. Uh, but for the low price of nine ninety nine, how could you not? If you're a wrestling fan, anyway. And let's see what else. I have Spotify. I enjoy that. Uh, so I got those things. And then I have like another thing to watch the Yale hockey games. And uh, then comes the issue of uh, radio. I'm a huge, uh, huge fan of radio. Uh, which is part of the reason why I do this podcast. And uh, it started with uh, being a Howard Stern fan. And I've uh, talked on this show many times about how much I love Howard Stern. And uh, I've come and gone with the show over the years. I think I started watching on the E! Show. uh, And then it started airing in Buffalo on the radio. And I would listen there in high school. Uh, My headphones and the bus on the way to school and things like that. And then... uh, I had Sirius when the show started there in 2006. And I kept it all the way until Artie Lang left in 2009. And then when I was in the hospital in 2012, I got back in and got a Sirius app subscription. Which, look at, there's great content on Sirius. Sirius is great content. Uh, Whether it's Howard, Opie and Jimmy, which we'll talk about in a second... Uh, the Pearl Jam channel, which obviously I love. A lot of different music channels, if you're looking for that. And uh, sports channels, the Mad Dogs there. I love the Mad Dog. I listen to that occasionally. Although maybe not as much as you might, th- I might think I do. Um, and because Howard Stern worked so little uh, in the new era of being back, I branched out and I started listening to the Opie and Anthony show a bit. And enjoying that. And then Anthony left in July, and he started the Anthony Cumia show. And I really wanted to hear what Anthony was going to say about what happened. So I subscribed to that for six months. I think I did a six-month uh, subscription. And I liked the Anthony Cumia show okay. Uh, it's all right. And I, it's just like I like the Opie and Jimmy show okay. But that was clearly a sum of all the parts thing. It was better... The Opie and Anthony show with Jim Norton is better than the Opie and Jimmy show and the Anthony Cumia show. Uh, But I'm not a hater. I don't 
blame Opie and Jimmy for resigning. I don't blame Anthony for doing what he did. I wish the whole thing never happened, and we still were in the 21st year of the Opie and Anthony show, but we're not. Uh, and then comes Artie Lang, who is always my favorite stern guy. I almost looked at it like when Artie joined the show in 2001 and Jackie left, that Artie was sort of representative of my generation of fans, that uh, the Jackie people were older than me. Uh, that was my dad's Howard Stern or something. And I loved Artie, and I found things in common with Artie. And um, I've been a huge fan of him always. And uh, he has a podcast now that he's charging for, 80 bucks a year, he always says, which is fine, uh, very fair. So I signed up, and uh, I love it. It's great. Um, he's so honest, and everything that makes you love Artie is there. And he's got friends that are on that uh, can be good, can be bad. I have no idea what that noise was. Someone else also loves Artie. Uh, but I realized I have too many subscriptions. So I will... Despite how much I love to drop serious, that's never going to happen as long as Howard is there. Wife plays for Netflix. She can just keep doing that. Not going to drop the WWE Network. So that means it's pretty much down to Artie versus Anthony, and that's easy. I'm going to keep Artie. So I don't know. It's, it's just it's just that kind of era right now. People are out there seeing, testing the waters and seeing what people will pay for. So I just wanted to talk about that for a minute and give a plug to the Artie Lang show because, I mean, you know he needs it. Uh, he needs it badly from me and the sportscaster. So there you go, Art.